to the Imposter Syndrome Club. I'm Alice, this is Jessamy. Thanks Alice, and we are joined today by our amazing guest, Miss Sarah Fern. Hi. So Sarah, the way this podcast starts is that we ask our guests to read their own bio. Yes. Can you read your bio for us, please? Do, 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 I can. This is, I'm sure everyone will say this, this is awkward. Oh, it's supposed to be awkward. But you know what's really <laughs> awkward is I had a quick read over this before. And the thing that's awkward for me about this is I haven't written it very well. So I'm like, oh, I should write this in a more compelling way. But anyway, I also have three. So I have like a short and sweet bio. I have my art, animation, comics and writing bio. And then I have my professional creative services bio. Is there one that you relate to more? Like when you were reading them through, is there one that you were like, oh, this is my, my, the like cool me that I want to do? <laughs> I think they're all pretty cool. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so do we. Um, but like it just, it just makes me realize that I have like different selves that appear in different realms. So I'm a, I'm a multidimensional creature. Or something, but I'm gonna read them, and I might just like get rid of some of the stuff that's a bit wordy. But anyway, <clears throat> I'll start now. Okay, so this is my short and sweet bio. Sarah Firth, she her, is based on Wurundjeri Country, Melbourne, Australia. She is an Id- <laughs> she is an Eisner Award-winning cartoonist, comic artist, and writer, speaker, and internationally renowned graphic recorder. Her work has been published by Abrams Books, ABC Arts, Frankie Magazine, Kush. Graphic Mundi, Penn State University Press, Penguin Random House, Picador, Allen and Unwin, The Nib, Black Ink, and Routledge. She is currently working on her debut graphic novel. Her literary agent is Jacinta Dimase. A um, legend. Oh my god. How did we, how did we <laughs> land that? Um, are you sure you're in the right place? I'd just like to comment on something that I thought was interesting because we both noticed this. So we did this for yeah. the first time on our first episode. Yeah. And it was very uh, enlightening. I was going to go with nightmarish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a little bit of both. But something we both did, or either went to do and pulled ourselves back from, which I noticed you did when you were saying mm. internationally renowned, is to make it jokey. Mm. Because it feels awkward. Well, that's mm. what we found too. Those mm. sort of big up words that we know We've we've written the bio, right? Mm. So like it's we're pretending that someone else is calling us internationally renowned, but it's not. It's us, and it feels yeah. a little icky. So I don't know if you had any thoughts feel, about that. I don't know if this is really arrogant or rude, but I feel proud. That's why I was like international. Like when I was like internationally renowned, I was like talking to my child self, and my little child self's like punching the fist in the air, being like, oh. "Cool, you were time traveling. Whoa. <laughs> Go you, that's cool." So I was kind of like making fun of myself, but also feeling proud simultaneously. And also nice. the reason why, for me at least, this is in the third person is because this is always for other people to use. So someone is always saying in the third person. So, and like, I have actually gone through phases of writing this in the first person saying, hi, I am Sarah. I do this, da, 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 da. But then people are like, oh, I can't use this because I, we need to introduce you and we just want to copy paste it. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, all right, all right, third person. All right. Has that always, have you always felt like that when you say like you feel proud, it's like you kind of, in, a, in that instance, you're time traveling back to like a previous version of you who's sitting, doodling, working, doing the work that eventually becomes the internationally renowned cartoonist. Mm. Like, has that always been, have you always been able to access pride? Um, yes. I feel like I should, given this is an imposter syndrome podcast, I feel like I should say no. Um, but it's like, 
I, I don't know if I'm just like way too in touch with my mortality, but like I totally come down to this baseline of like the fact that anything exists, the fact that I can do anything and like make stuff. And also the fact that I can be a woman in a country where I can just do stuff without too much problem. Mm. Like every day I just remember that and just go, I want to fucking do some stuff that I love. Oh, sorry, I swore. Absolutely <gasps> fine. No. Get out. <laughs> Get the fuck out, Sarah. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Don't be. <laughs> I should check that point. Anyway, but um, yeah, like, I find that motivating and like I I'm maybe also a little bit basic where like just a little thing to me I still feel proud of like getting something in on time or like someone responding to an email and not just not responding I'm just like yes like I'm very basic so yeah I don't think that's being basic I think that's something that most people try to access like that's that's a wonderful thing Mm. pride is an interesting one Mm. because you know like it's a sin if you're from that sort of religious world, but it's also so important. And I wonder where it comes from, like if it's a family instilled things. Like my dad, when we were growing up, did this extraordinarily cute thing when we did something that he was proud of. You got an award at school, got a new job, I don't know, whatever. And they could be anything from minuscule to big. Dad would look at us in the eye and go, I'm proud of you. What am I? And we'd have to say, oh, well. proud of me. Oh, <laughs> I know, I know, he's oh, too much. He's just the most gorgeous. Wonderful. I know. And I think that that really helped me oh. to, yeah, to celebrate feeling proud of things and that it's okay to mm-hmm. be, yeah, to celebrate things from, like, tiny tiny little things to big things. Like, Dad would do that, like, if we sneeze. He'd be like, oh, you <laughs> you're amazing. Well, it's actually important because not sneezing is really bad for you. Like when people try to not sneeze to like be polite, it's actually really bad for you. You can rupture things. Don't do it. Sneeze. Be proud of your sneeze. John, geez. It's sneeze also bride. something we spoke about when we were kind of throwing the idea around of having a, this conversation in these podcasts is this idea of, and it was really interesting, even earlier you saying how you're almost mm. like feeling like an imposter for not feeling like an imposter. And there's mm. so much more of a, it's so much more socially acceptable to minimize yourself and your work and your confidence that that's almost like allowed yeah but like god forbid god forbid you love what you do or yeah you're happy with it i feel like there's a bit of a gender thing there like i i, I guess as a woman like i identify as a woman if i go into it more i feel kind of genderless and i guess a lot of my things that i do lean more towards like socially socially masculine things like i like to be funny i like to be very physical i do weightlifting and i like to sort of be public and loud and stuff like that um but I feel like a lot of the the feminine impulse I don't actually believe in like masculine feminine thing very much but anyway uh there's like a meme it's like the feminine impulse to blah or the masculine impulse to blah and I I definitely feel the feminine impulse to minimize in order to not come across as threatening um because I never want I never want people to feel like I you know how there are some people who just mean they just talk at you and you could literally be a chair and they just, I never want to be one of those people. So I am, and I'm also a neurodivergent, so I'm like hypersensitive to people's micro expressions. And I'm always worried that I'm boring someone or they actually need to go and they're being polite. So I've got all that going on. Um, but I just like, I see that thing of not wanting to be threatening and not want to intimidate anybody, but then also wanting to celebrate self. Cause I know that celebrating self lets other people celebrate themselves. Um, you know, and that if someone responds to your well-meaning generosity or, uh, sharing yourself with you know oh you're being 
you know, a big nose or whatever, that usually says more about them than other mm. people. But it's a weird thing. Like, I saw this thing online of some some famous person posting, like, I'm so excited, my book is coming out. And one of the first um, messages I got from someone underneath was like, hey, guess what? Um, sharing an accomplishment, being proud of yourself is the easiest way to lose followers, unfollowed. And then there were all these people saying, unfollowed. And I'm watching it just go, and like my, even just saying that now, my heart, my gut is dropping. I'm just like, that is so, I don't like the word toxic, but that's such a toxic, gross thing. It's like, you can't talk about nice things that are happening because it might upset someone or you're obviously an asshole if you share what you're doing. And like, I tend to toot my own fucking horn a bit. That's because I'm a fucking independent artist. No one else is gonna fucking toot my horn. See, I toot my own horn. And occasionally I do get people being a bit like, oh, you're so self-promotion-y, blah. And I'm like, I'm actually just excited that like I made a thing that's actually getting published somewhere because I get mainly rejections. Yes. And so I feel like I'm allowed to go, hey, yay, a thing. A healthy self-tooting practice, you know? <laughs> and I feel like you can, you can tell when someone's taking it like, is like crazy narcissistic and when someone's just like, hello, yes. I made a thing, do you want yeah. to come? You know, yeah. But also you would assume that if someone's following you, as part of, you know, that's your, like, where you share your art, that they would be interested to know where they can access your art. Would you not think? That's such a good, it's, that is literally your audience. Right. It doesn't have to be there in the first place. Yeah, yeah. And people being like, don't take up so much airtime, don't take up so much space. It's like, this is like the internet of everything and everyone where everyone is carving out niches and space. It's like, I'm not taking anything away from anybody. I'm also not very famous. I'm just like a little independent person, frankly. You know, like, anyway, I just find all of that online stuff very like, ooh. Can I ask a son? This is a this is like a side tangent, but it was something Mm. you mentioned when we were cut, and I totally acknowledge your point of like Mm. the huge air quotes masculine and feminine like recognizing that that's complete bullshit but just as like as the words we use to mark certain kinds of socially acceptable behavior yeah 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 yeah. um the weightlifting which is so cool and this part of your Mm. life that like is so awesome because it's I mean on so many levels but like breaking away from what is stereotypically Mm. also an artist or a creative or Mm. people who are typically not known or, or there's no kind of conversation around inhabiting our bodies so much it's much mm. more about like your mind and your your voice and your ideas and what you make mm. so with weightlifting like you found your way in there was that ever given that it is such a game quote quote air quotes masculine space <laughs> mm. did you ever feel like an imposter there or was that or have you found that to be very welcoming like what's been your experience oh, so i think it comes down to personality type which it, maybe which is like i always feel like an outsider in every group, even my tribe, like my people, I always feel like an outsider. And particularly as a graphic recorder professionally, I inhabit so many different cultures that I kind of, fortunately and unfortunately, feel often a lot like an anthropologist, which is that I'm part of, but also not part of. Um, and there's this like reflexive thing there that's like good, both good and bad. Um, but I always feel a bit outside of everything. And so going into completely different cultural spaces, like a very masculine sports weightlifting place that I've never been to before like I my shock and weirdness is less imposter and more just like oh there's loud sounds people are dropping weights the floor is shaking people move their bodies in certain ways people are yelling like and that was more like strange and shocking to me it was just like the animal 
response to the space and how people move and behave differently in the space than me being really shit at weightlifting because like I'm still not particularly good like it's definitely a hobby for me um but I just really enjoy it and there's something specifically about that space that there's no mirrors you're there to functionally perform a technical thing that is very hard and and that divorces the experience from like the performance of how you look even though having people look at you while you're weightlifting is another kind of weird thing because normally people don't just stare at each other and when you're weightlifting everyone's staring at you but they're not staring at you like are you hot they're staring at you going are you nailing that thing or where can we help you your knees need to go back so it's like really functional and technical um so i felt like a beginner and like an alien in that place but not an imposter i just felt like i was like it was new i was new to them they were new to me it was a new kind of adjustment thing of like what's going on? What do I do here? How do I ooh, yeah. I love that yeah. you that that alien and imposter are not synonyms for you. Like I think mm. that, that is that's really interesting. And I think for a lot of people that that idea of foreignness and imposter are packaged in the same thought. Mm. And it's very cool and interesting that it's not. Yeah. That the the question of imposter, so so like just for context for the dear listener, when I was invited to come here and talk, I said I feel like a bit of an imposter because I'm not sure if I have imposter syndrome and I, I probably do or did or something and I've found workarounds, I think. Um, but yeah, like prior to this, I was talking with my partner a lot about how imposter syndrome shows up in his life. And like he is a manager of a team of 20 people. He's steering a thing and he has to figure out stuff. And if I imagine being him in that position, yeah, I feel imposter syndrome because I would not know what I was doing. Um, whereas in a lot of the areas where I play, either the stakes are so low that if I completely ruin everything, it doesn't actually matter that much, or I'm reasonably competent enough to kind of do it. Like for example, with graphic recording, each time I turn up to an event, I have, you know, um, uh, performance anxiety of like, I want to do good. I also have like anticipatory anxiety of like, I hope I've remembered all my stuff. Where is the toilet? When does it start? Like just all the logistical stress. And, I, and as soon as it's like about to begin, I have this moment of like, oh my gosh, I've completely forgotten how to do this. But then I, I can, I've done it enough times to trust that I do know how to do it. And kind of similar like sport is just going to the muscle memory of like, don't think, just do, just respond, just do, don't think. Um, and there's something for me about like, overthinking like should I be there do I belong being here like that's the stuff that brings up imposter stuff um sorry I've been very I just kind of not speaking very clearly um but to me like the 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 shifting angle of like imposter syndrome depends a lot on how I think about or frame the thing and so I've tried to find ways I think to like reframe stuff so I don't get trapped and like even saying stuff to myself like um people I've like, cause I, because of neurodivergent stuff, I get quite scared of people. Like, and it's literally just like, I don't actually know what is normal. Um, and like, so I've had to reframe stuff of like, the people around you are friends. The people you haven't met yet are friends. Um, and also just saying stuff like you belong anywhere and everywhere. And that's not to say, you know, I can just walk into any place and be welcomed because that's obviously not true, but it's just like telling myself that I belong so that I'm not actively mentally saying I don't belong. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You touched on something interesting there that I've been thinking about over the past couple of weeks 
thinking about the concept of imposter syndrome in general, saying that, you know, if you were to go and inhabit your partner's workspace, that you would feel like an imposter because it's not your space. So what is, but to me, that's not imposter syndrome. That's you like doing a job that is not your job that you don't yeah, know how yeah, to yeah. do. That's so that's being not an like imposter. being exactly <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. imposter syndrome. That's just being an imposter. So how do we know the difference between when we are just a beginner at something or when we are experiencing imposter syndrome? Because potentially there are people being like, oh yes, I suffer from this imposter syndrome, but maybe not. Maybe they just haven't gotten good enough at the thing yet. Mm, they're actually not qualified as like yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that idea of just anyone walking into like a surgery and hey. being like performing an operation on someone. Let's go! I'm gonna YouTube this. <laughs> yeah, I belong. Like, <laughs> I yeah. belong here. Why am I feeling so nervous about this brain surgery? I've got to be more confident in myself. <laughs> That's all it is. Maybe I'll meditate for five minutes. <laughs> I feel like there's this weird spectrum though. Like there's there there are some people who are pathological like. Like people who are in hubris, who think who are so overconfident that they have no imposter senses at any time, and they're dangerous, right? And then you have people who are actually incredibly competent. Like, what's this? What's the stats around that? Of like, there are lots of women in the work, particularly women, particularly women of color in the workforce who are highly qualified, really great for a role, but they often don't apply for a role because they're like feel a bit unsure. However, like you know, typical white guy confidence type of thing. He'll just apply for the job. He's totally unqualified. And he's just like, yeah, yeah, I'll just figure it out. And like a lot of that stuff is like, you know, uh, socially constructed ideas of self and worth and, you know, what you are allowed and not allowed to do. Um, And maybe I have a bit of bravado or something, or I don't know, or I've been in enough difficult situations where shit's gone wrong that I trust that I'm resourceful enough to figure out most things. Or supported enough as well. Yes. Well, that is a huge thing, right? Is like, and I would call that stakes, which is like, what are the, what's at stake with the thing? Like if you, I tend to be a little bit anxious and like think about worst case scenarios. And I find that company, which is like, once I was scribing on stage and my paper actually ripped in half and I was like freaking out and like my pens were dry. I don't know what happened, but yeah. And it was just terrible. And so I took scroll of notes and then I like redid the scribe later and it was a bit disappointing, but it's like the stakes were low. I was getting paid, you know, like I was supported, you know, people were kind enough and generous enough to like get that there was a mistake, that kind of thing. Um, and it's good to remember that, like I'm not doing brain surgery where someone's life is on the line. And I know that you can't compare those things, um, and also, you know, the facts of a situation versus how you feel are different and both legitimate. Like, you can't just say to someone, don't be stressed ever because you're not a surgeon. Like, that's an asshole thing to say. Um, but I feel like I do a lot of mental reframing or, like, word affirmations, you could say, to, like, just be like, you know, instead of being on stage and be like, everyone's judging you and thinks you're your shit, they're just like, people are here because they're curious and they're probably interested and they'll hopefully get something nice out of this. Um, but, but to what I wanted to say before was that when I was going through like different types of imposter syndrome online, there was one that kind of stuck out for me where I was like, maybe I do have that one a little bit. And it was, um, the, uh, the critic, which is like, I actually have an infographic on my phone. It was really good. Hold on. Just give me one second. Um, there were six different types of like main imposter syndrome um, that are 
the superhero, which is the person who thinks that they have to do everything by themselves and overwork because they feel so inadequate. There's the natural genius who sets exceedingly high goals and never reaches them and feels completely crushed. There's the perfectionist who never is completely happy with their work and they're fixated on flaws instead of strengths. The soloist who never asks for help for fear of appearing incompetent. And then the expert who's never satisfied with their level of understanding and they always want to learn more. I relate to expert because I'm a person who over-prepares and like because I do so much writing, whenever you start writing and researching on a topic, you realise there is so much to know and so much you can't know. And so I always feel a little bit like, shit, can I have an opinion on this thing? Like, this is complex. There's a lot to this. Also, case in point, how you literally just research the yeah. like, as you're like, well, there are six, there are six yeah, forms of imposter like, syndrome. Oh. We literally just, <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. Oh. So, so it's like, it's like totally, that's a thing. That, that is a like thing that's a, a type of imposter syndrome that I was like, yeah, I can relate to that. Particularly as writing a book that's like on big topics. The more I research, the more I'm just like, I am really unqualified. Not in a positive syndrome, but like actually unqualified. <laughs> like, yeah. So anyway. I love, I love also, like, not in an imposter syndrome, but actually unqualified. I'm like, that's the definition. It's like everyone feels that it's true, the, un, the feeling of the unqualification. Yeah. Well, it, well, there's two sides to that. Like, do you guys know Dunning-Kruger? It's yes. actually been defunct, but I'm going to still go with Dunning-Kruger because people know what it is. Which is, like, if you don't know much about, like, health and wellness, if you have a few things, you might be like, yeah, I get how this is, da, da, da. and then the more you actually, like, train and study and work with your body, you realise, oh, this is really complex, really different for different bodies, blah, 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 blah. And then, like, the more of an expert you become, the more you realise that you don't know and that everything kind of needs a caveat and, like... That's a level of kind of intelligence, and that's how you get done in Kruger, right? Yeah. So it's this weird thing of like the expert imposter syndrome. How much is it that versus um, like actually being a proper scientist and knowing that you can't say yeah. or can't know? Yeah. Mm. I don't know. Mm. Yeah. Alice, is there one of those um, imposter syndrome types that you resonated with? Oh, what was the second one? The second it was the one, one before perfectionist. Superhero, overwork themselves to make up for how inadequate they feel. Uh, no, definitely not that. Natural <laughs> genius, exceedingly high goals and they feel crushed when they don't meet them. Yeah, I think, I mean, I don't like mm. the label, but yeah, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of a natural genius, you guys. It's a burden. But yeah. um, but that description of like setting the bar way, way too high, mm. possibly high, and then there's always a deficit and, mm. and taking that deficit as a personal reflection. Mm. Um, and then I kind of often have to step back and be like, but the, that was that was like a made-up goal yeah. anyway. That wasn't yeah. a thing. And I think I'll often do it with artworks where I'm, I mm-hmm. love scale. So it'll be like instead of making one thing, I'm like, oh, it's going to be a series of 100. Mm-hmm. And then I have to like step back after and be like, it don't, 99 of those were irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Like that was just me making life harder. And also if you set the goal at 100, it's like you can make 58. That's still a lot of things that you've made, but that's a good... I'm doing really 42 less than the guy. I don't know. We never said you were a mathematician. I was a <laughs> natural genius, I believe. <laughs> Is there one for you, Jess? Yeah, the superhero one. Yeah, again, mm. n- not super vibing on the, the title, but yeah. for sure, like, um, 
over committing and then like almost well, some of those things that's like a little bit embarrassing to say out loud, I suppose, but almost like a martyrdom, like, oh, like I took on this, like, no one fucking made you do that. Yeah. You did it. And then you're like, oh, no one's helping me do all the things that I created. <laughs> well, yeah. But yeah. also like, so I had this interesting experience actually. So Graphic Recorders Australia, which is the um, industry associate association for graphic recorders in Australia, funnily enough. <laughs> um, so we started that in 2019 and with a small committee um, and it was a little bit of an odd time to start a thing because then 2020 happened and a lot of the things we were planning and we couldn't plan on and also, you know, people were just like dealing with their own emotional roller coasters. So, um, and it's, it's all, um, it's a non-profit completely volunteer based. So everyone on the committee um, is volunteering their time. And it was sort of through 2020 when we were in lockdowns and I really didn't want to, I was just super conscious of like asking too much of people. So I ended up doing the majority of the work myself and then getting increasingly frustrated and upset about it. Mm. But did I talk to anyone about it? No. Mm. So how the fuck are they going to know when all they're getting is me being like, love you guys. When inside I'm like, fuck you all, why aren't you helping me? And then, so I like spoke to um, Dan, my husband Dan, about it, and he's like, "Well, they're not going to know that you're struggling if you don't tell them." I'm like, "This is an excellent point." Yeah. And you know what? Completely unsurprisingly, because they're all amazing, generous professionals who had put their hand up to volunteer their time and care about that industry just as much as I do, it was like barely even a conversation. It was like literally like a sentence of like, "Guys, I really need some help," and it was just. Solved, practically mm. solved overnight, this thing that I'd stressed about for a year. Mm. But I also, like, I wonder if, like, deep down, like, did I did I hold on to that for longer than I should have because there's some part of me that kind of likes that in a way, that yeah, likes yeah, that, like, yeah. feeling needed or important yeah. or something? Yes, yes, yes. Oh, my, sorry, I know that in the first podcast episode you talked about Brene Brown. Have you read her new book, no. Atlas of the Heart? No. I was reading it when I was on holiday this week and there was this, like it's basically an atlas of like all the different emotions that we feel why we feel them how we feel them and like what we can and can't do about them and there was one that was on resentment that I was reading and just what you were saying then just made me go oh my gosh we all do this and she was saying that um often resentment is mis uh, a misplaced wish that we wish we could give ourselves permission to ask for help or say no or whatever and she used this example of the person who might stay late at work working and their colleagues like I gotta go drinks with the guys you coming and it's like no I'm still working I'm typing furiously in the air here um <laughs> and there's and then and then the person who's working late might be resentful of the guys who's, you know gone off and having a nice time but part of it is because they want to give themselves permission to like stop working but then they also feel mm. trapped of like I've got to pull I've got to do this whole thing because I'm so important and I've got to make it work and if I'm not doing it no one else will and until you actually test that, you don't know. And so I think it's amazing that you were able to go like, okay, everyone, I need some help. And people are like, boom, we're here. And so you can prove to yourself that like, you know, there's more support than you expected or like that, that being vulnerable in that way is actually really helpful. And it's a way to circumnavigate like feeling resentful or feeling overburdened or, you know, and we all have these things, mm-hmm. you know, where we, we trip ourselves up. Like, and I, I, thinking about our, you know, three different sort of, imposter syndrome types like definitely for me my expert thing comes from my upbringing because I had very very intellectual 
very critical parents where whenever I said anything, they'd go, where did you read that? Who said it? Are there more than one? Is there more than one study? Is oh, it wow. peer-reviewed? Full on. Like, so, so I have that internalized as a little thing inside me. of like, I'll say a thing and I'll be like, well, how do you know that's actually true? What's the, what's the counterpoint to that? And again, it's a thing that's a strength, just like overworking is a strength because you're the person who can get the stuff done. Right. Um, but being like hypercritical and trying to figure out all of the, you know, flaws to an argument. It's like every single argument inevitably has flaws or oversights mm. or is missing something. And it's like, you've got to figure out when to keep the good bits and when to stop the craziness. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's so interesting. You know? oh, mm. I'm just imagining like a little Sarah eating a chocolate ice cream being like, this is delicious. This is the best ice cream. You're like, is that peer reviewed? Have the studies been done, Sarah? Can we say that with certainty? You should try this other chocolate that is better. Yeah. How many oh. how many sources have you cited in that opinion? No, it's a thing. And like, even if I like get an award for like athletics or art or something at school, they'd be like, "That's great, but don't rest on your laurels. You've got to do better next time. You've got to keep pushing. You've got to be in it to win it." Type of stuff. And I'm like, okay. Aww. I feel proud of this one. <laughs> like the direct opposite of John D. It was like, you got up today and put your pants on. Well done. You're so clever. Yeah, I did put my pants on. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> yeah, I think that the counter for me is to be like internalize your dad and have my own little John G's like, go Sarah. Oh, <laughs> I could sell that. You could do that. I could sell like miniature John G's to put on your shoulder for encouragement. You could just sell little voice notes. Like he just sends a daily voice note. You did good, kid. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I've started doing this incredibly cheesy but very fun thing that I again mm. heard and I can't attribute it, but it was someone somewhere on a, on a podcast of a podcast of an interview of a book kind of thing. But um, it was the idea of, like, the self-high-five. Mm. I think it was the woman. She did the, like, f- countdown from five thing. So her first book was, like, m- motivating yourself, like, five, four, three, two, one, do the thing. Mm. And then I think she needed, like, a new hook. And the next <laughs> one was, like, self-high-five. This is a cynical part of my brain. It's like, oh, book deal. <laughs> and then the other part of my brain is, It's like, a bit like that. <laughs> but I also, like, was trying it. I was like, okay, because I, mm. I feel like... There's something around like that ritual. So now mm. I've been, if I have, if I've been making good choices and I've been going to yoga and eating healthy food and doing the things that I know I need to do mm. to feel m- like myself and in my life and kind of l- like living in my worth and taking care of me. Mm. In the morning, I'll like finish brushing my teeth and I'll literally give myself a high five. Just I'll like slap my hands above my head so loud in the bathroom. My housemates are like, what the fuck happened in there? But it's really fun. And I think it's like, it's also just like having the ritual and it's, I think the silliness is part of it. And like, there's something empowering about giving yourself permission to do the silly thing. Like that in itself is its own invitation. And there's also something nice about celebrating yourself and not just punishing yourself. I mean, we all punish ourselves in our minds and all of that stuff, but it's like celebrating yourself is a nice like countermeasure of like self-love that like, I personally feel like just like with plants, the more you kind of nurture and look after the plant of yourself, the more you can fruit and give delicious figs to friends because you're feeling abundant. Whereas if you're like, you know, struggling through and feeling like a, you know, washed up 
grease rag, it's really hard to like be generous with other people, celebrate other people, love other people because you're, you're barely making it through. And so I don't like, you, you can say that that stuff is flippant, but I actually, particularly if someone's like gone through trauma or had full on stuff, those little rituals of self-affirmation and like self-sovereignty and self-love really matter a lot, like hugely. So High fives. Yeah. I actually love high fives in general yeah. so much. Like it's such a dorky thing, but I love them. There's something really like at the end of a, um, mm. uh, I was about to say at the end of a CrossFit class, I'm like, do I want people to know that I do CrossFit? <laughs> yeah. I'm that girl. Sorry about that. Absolutely. You go around and you high five everyone. And it, when I first started doing, I'm like, this is mega dorky. Mm. And then within like three days, you're like, I love this because it's marking a moment in mm. time and to be able to do that for yourself mm. is gorgeous I think because it's just yeah it's like that that moment it, mm. um Sarah and I both used to work in um the MG Taylor practice which is a particular facilitation methodology that uses graphic recording as part of a broader facilitation process mm. and th- they would run these big sort of three-day conference events um, you'd have a team of what, like maybe 10 to 14 people. They're like really intense, long hours, um, but it's super interesting work. But you'd have like a series of small meetings throughout the days, which were called circle ups because you'd stand in a circle. <laughs> and at the end of a circle up, you had this thing where you would all click and try to time it at the same time. So essentially you're sort of like feeding off the energy of everyone else and trying to find that moment together and click at the same time. Again, it's kind of dorky, but it's that marker, it's it's saying, it's aligning all of our kind of energy together. It's saying like, Mm -hmm. now we're done, go off. Like, you know, when you're training a dog and and you're like, that's it. Or, you know, you have your marker to let them know that the training session is done and now they're allowed to go and play. (laughs) It's sort of that kind of thing. I think those markers are actually super powerful. Rituals matter. Like, they do. Like, collectively, by yourself, they matter, I think. Do you have any particular self-rituals? Oh, I have so many. I have so many. I feel like you're a queen of the bath. <laughs> I, I, like, I spend a oh, lot yeah. of time online watching you bath, and yeah. I'm proud to say that. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yes, it's just, like, it's just a wholesome video of my tap and water. It's just, like, relaxing moment. Um, but, yeah, I, like, I, it's funny. Like, because I live a really uncertain life with so many variables and things going on, over time I've developed, like, kind of arbitrary frameworks of like how to self-support and create some context or clarity in days that are just all over the place. And so I have like journaling rituals, um, body movement rituals, like, you know, make a coffee and go for a walk. And I do that like with no podcast, no nothing. I just look at stuff and that's like my slow time. Um, even for me, just like ticking off like good to do today is like go for a walk, read a book, do a little bit of work. And if I can tick those off, it's a good day. And then I have all the other important stuff to do. Um, and just like exercising. <laughs> we have a special guest, uh, which is Alice's tummy. He's going to say hi. I'm amazed we haven't met my tummy before now. It's true. You're a bit hungry, babe. It's a whole thing. I go to a gut hypnotist. This is a different. No, okay. Ooh, is pause like, everything. Oh, tell like, me more. Yeah, what, is, what is this? It's just, it's just, it's like a whole fight or flight thing, but mm. it's also like anytime it's very important for me to be quiet. Yeah. It just, it's like gets real chatty. And once it's done, like this is, 
This is not the last you will hear. What does the gut hypnotist do? It's pretty amazing. It's basically like a guided meditation where it it was firstly crazy to me that this even exists. It's like a whole, I I thought I'd find someone who was like a kind of hypnotist because it's obviously it's a mental, it's like anxiety related. So I was like, okay, hypnotist with this as a subset, but it's actually someone who has enough gut related work that they are specifically just mind gut Mm. and she does um she does like meditations and like breath work stuff so a lot of it's like breathing and then she'll also do like visualizations where Mm. like walk into the shop and there's like the potion and it's relaxing and it calms your body and it's it's basically just tools to take you out of your head Mm. Because it is, it's completely just a cycle of like, it's a, I'll be in a quiet space and like, I need to be quiet. Yeah. And then that thought, I'm like, it's, it's over. Like my mm-hmm. stomach is like, hi. <laughs> and then once that starts, it kind of triggers. So it's basically just finding a way to, to focus outside of that. That's great. I need to go see them. It's, I love that. It's online as well. She, we just oh. have a Zoom and then she records the Zoom and you get the, oh. she exports the sound files. So you can listen to it afterwards. So good. That's fascinating. Side sidebar, but I'm amazed that my stomach has not featured earlier. Featured. Well, I'm pleased to meet your stomach. (laughs) I think it is great. I get I get the gurgles when I go into like parasympathetic nervous system relax. So when I get massages, yeah, my tummy's like. I was like, yeah, cool. Hey, it's my friend. Hello. But yeah. I that just yesterday I was getting a massage and exactly that was happening. Really? And I, so I was like, oh, I'm like, oh, sorry. And she's like, it happens literally all the time. Like basically every other person mm. has got the tummy gurgles. I associate it with being a good thing for some reason, like that you're hungry or that you're relaxing or that your body is like, because if you're, if your blood isn't flowing, it like doesn't do it. Like you, you won't have tummy related yeah. anything. You just go, so well, she seemed to think it's related to have, like relaxing your muscles, that that will happen. That's cool. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. your tummy, your tummy is very welcome. Oh, thanks, thanks, yeah. guys. This is a safe <laughs> space. Guy. I'm gonna get it its own mic, and then oh. we can just have that in the background, like an ASMR oh. track. Yeah, truly, it's tracking. Truly. But um, but that was a side. That was a sidebar from where were we? I don't even remember. I'm <laughs> interested. We we're, were talking about oh, yeah, rituals. rituals. Yeah, rituals. So, yeah, 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 yeah. You, Sarah, are a prolific journaler. Yeah. Um, and you've got this, like, this idea of thinking on the page and a lot of the cartoons, was it over lockdown that ended up being that little book that you made? Yeah. Yeah. These sort of day-to-day cartoons that you created in a beautiful little book called Think on the Page. And so as I, tell me if I'm uh, wrong here, but as I understand it, that's sort of your own personal practice that you would do regardless of an audience. And then yeah. some of it you share yeah. with an audience. Um, what do you think the the pros and cons are of sharing that stuff and is this I imagine there is stuff that's just for you and yeah. stuff that's shareable and um kind of vibing back with the Brene Brown stuff because I've been reading this book Atlas of the Heart like I occasionally get people asking me like how do you have the courage to put such half-baked work out online along with beautiful work but like I put a mix of stuff and part of it is just knowing that like I will think that I've made something great and I'll put it out there and I'll get like one like, no one gets it. I'll put something out that's like the most flippant thought and other people are like, oh my God, I resonate with this, you read my mind. <laughs> and so there's just something of like, I know that like I need to just be like a tree with leaves and just keep putting stuff out because it will just be hit and miss. 
mm. basically. So I so again like lowering the stakes for myself of just like the more work I can, the more I can keep in flow of making stuff and putting stuff out there, inevitably something good will come in the mix of rubbish. <laughs> and do you <laughs> and so I'm, I'm so part of and also part of it for me is like similar to Brene Brown, like I grew up in a very shame heavy house and this feeling of I'm not normal, there's something wrong with me, I'm being difficult, um, is, a, is a thing that I've been trying to like navigate and I feel like a service to myself and a service to other people is being like this thing that is made, and it's not like being vulnerable in a kind of, mm, it, it can, that can be done badly, but for me it's like I'm confused about blah, well, I'm going to talk about feeling confused about blah, not being sure what to do, and, I'm, and I make the assumption that other people feel that way too. Mm. And most of the time it's correct. Other times, you know, I'm over there and other people are there. Like, I don't get what you're, why you're thinking about that. Um, but for me, like, writing down thoughts, making things and sharing them, like, the call and response, like, the sharing call and response is actually a really important part of my practice. And it's kind of actually how I've gone from being a fine artist into being a comic artist and writer is that as a writer, you're talking more about ideas and it is more social and it is more um, really specific. Whereas art can be more layered and metaphorical and kind of and dreamy. Whereas words have a precision where you're sharing something clear and other people can respond with whatever to that. Mm. Um, and I like personally obviously people going, yes, me too, because I'm like, I'm not alone, they're not alone, hooray. But I also like people being like, by the way, this is a really privileged view. Have you ever thought about blah? Do you realise this? You know, and I'm always like, that's helpful to me. Occasionally I get stuff that's like really nasty and projecty and I'm just like trying to ignore that. But I do find like the, the frisson or the tension or me realising that I'm biased really helpful and important. Mm. Um, and that's hard emotionally when that happens, but I also feel like that's me learning so I'm up for it it's really yeah. really lovely hearing someone navigate social media I, I feel like that mindset is a really healthy way mm. to to use that tool because it is a tool but I think so much of the conversation is around how gross it can become mm. and how problematic and that idea that for you it is a conversation like it's a useful way to connect yeah well it's like to me social media is a huge social experiment so I'm going to participate in it as if it's a social experiment and I'm using it to experiment with stuff too and yeah, stuff nice. works stuff fails I get told off for not being enough of a brand and like I'm in the middle of pitching my graphic novel with my agent and like I've had a few meetings oh my god imposter syndrome around rejection far out that's another thing I talk about but anyway but this thing of like feeling this pressure of like I should have a brand and like you shouldn't just suddenly post photos of your cat and you're at coffee no one wants to see that and I'm like, I love seeing other people's pets and what they're eating. I can post what I want. That's interesting, though, because I <laughs> would say you actually have a very strong brand. Well, that's nice. Yeah. I mean, I think that the, the work that you do has a very particular tone that is Sarah Firth. Mm. And that includes sharing videos of weightlifting and your cat and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. I don't know. I'm no brand expert, but to, <laughs> but, but to me, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. I think it's quite clear. Yeah. I'm interested, so I understand, and I think that's super cool, like participating it as it's as if it's a social experiment, which kind of is. Mm. So there's the the good feelings that come when people go, yay, me too. There's the maybe not good feelings, but the important um, outcomes of people saying, no, actually this is wrong, or I disagree because blah, blah, or have you considered this perspective? Mm. 
What happens when there's just silence? Does that bum you out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When there's silence, I usually assume it's an algorithm thing. <laughs> Sometimes when I'm having a really bad time online, I'm just like, this is all just bots. They're not real people. So it's all just a game. Oh, but. Um, but yeah, if there's silence, I just go, oh, well. But but I don't take feedback as the only measure. Like, Because there's stuff that I put out that people are like, wow. And then at the end of it, I'm like, I actually don't think that's very good. And then there are other times where I put something out and there's like one like, and I'm just like, huh. But then I'm like, no, this idea is important. It might be more important to, like, 60-year-olds that aren't on this platform, not, you know, hip 20-year-olds. But, you know, I'll still be like, no, that's important to me. So, like, again, I just take it with, like, a grain of salt because it's like, I also don't know who a lot of people are. And they don't know who I am. (laughs) I imagine as well, probably, and because you are so prolific, like, the more you do it, the less, like, of a sting those things might have. Like, I've definitely noticed in myself when I've done something that I feel proud of, Mm. like like when I hosted my first Creative Mornings event, for example, which I was super nervous about, put a lot of emotional energy into, and then when it was over, I was just like, I want... I want more stuff to happen. I want a parade. (laughs) I want everyone telling me how amazing I am. But it's not like because it's only a personal to anyone else. It was just like you introduced a speaker for five minutes. It's really not a big deal, which it's not. But because I had invested so much of my emotional energy in it, when it was over, I was like, what? Well, where's my balloons? (laughs) And that's why you need to go buy it. So I buy myself flowers a lot. This is a ritual. I buy myself flowers a lot to the point where florists are like, are these for someone? Like, no, they're for me. And and that is for me this, like, it is literally creating my own parade because other people are too busy and self-centered or whatever to do a parade for me. (laughs) So I do my own. And, like, there's something really funny and frivolous about that, but it hits the note, you know, of, like, yes. It's Beautiful flowers for me. I love, and it, I love it's it. the it's the double gesture. It's the flowers doing their beautiful work of celebrating. But it's it's exactly the moment that you give yourself permission mm. to be friends with yourself, to do the nice thing like that. I feel like that the flowers then become a marker for me anyway. Mm. Less about the original thing you were celebrating, mm. and more they're a sign that you. It's a constant reminder to you that you are the type of person who celebrates your successes and that for me is like that is petrol in the tank yeah yeah and also like you know everyone has different love languages but like I always want to buy people flowers when they have a thing and like some people love that and other people don't really like it and I remember some you know you don't do, always do that but like the fact that I give that to myself helps me feel more able to like celebrate other people and give to them because I know how good it feels, whereas sometimes there can be a stinginess that occurs where people don't want to be awkward. And I'm like, no, be awkward, buy them flowers and they'll be embarrassed. Yes. <laughs> but they'll secretly be happy, you know, or giving someone a compliment, that kind of stuff. Because often, like, I have this thing where I, like, I'm often unsure and, like, doubting, like, what am I doing? What is this? Um, and often people will, like, think nice things about me but not tell me. And then I'll hear through another person that this particular person thinks I'm awesome. And I'm like, they've never said anything to me about that I didn't even think they liked me and it's and I don't know if that's like stinginess or awkwardness or they think I already think I'm great or like full of myself or something like that but like I, I try to be generous with other people being like I loved your book you know I, I bought your sticker like that kind of thing because I know it means a lot to most people 
I try to do that when I see people that look like they're on first dates. Like, I'll walk past them and I'll just say to the woman, I'll be like, you look amazing. Or, like, I'll compliment what she's wearing because I'm just like, that's the best feeling. I'm like, yeah. I, you can see that awkwardness. And I'm just like, yeah, like, like we're, we're on team. Like, yeah. I got you. I yeah. love that. Yeah, it's really it's so nice. Like, and even just saying hi to someone in a non-creepy way is nice. Like, recognizing another human is nice. Yeah. There's, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the comedian Pete Holmes, but he's got a really great podcast. I think you'd really like yeah. it, Sarah. Um, but something that he talks about quite a lot is so often we know what people want. Why don't we just give it to them? Mm. As in, and not in a like at the expense of yourself, but like, you know that someone wants to be told they look beautiful and they put a lot of effort into dressing up. So instead of being like, yeah, but I don't really like red and they're wearing red, so why would I say it? You know that they put in the effort and they would love to be told they look beautiful. Why can't we just give people what they want when we recognise and we know that that is what they need? Mm. And so often we know that in, you know, in our heart of hearts, but we don't give it to them because maybe we're embarrassed or... Um, we get nervous or anxious, but I think of, mm. it's something I think about quite a lot, actually, Sarah, mm. like, um, and I think I've gotten better at it mm. more recently, but like, I can't remember a time outside of like a dude being a super creep, which is a completely different thing. So I'm not going to include it in this conversation <laughs> where I've been given a compliment and I was like, oh, I wish they didn't say that to me. You know what I yeah. mean? Like everyone loves yeah. that. And I think we can be generous when we recognize a need or a, a desire in someone we can just give it to them yeah and just yeah. also affirming people like I, I once worked with this woman and she said I would give my arm and leg to see what other people see in me and I think that like mm. when I see you I see something but I probably see a bunch of stuff that you can't quite see about mm. yourself and it's like really easy to forget that other people can't actually see themselves or what they bring like so for example because I'm a little bit awkward in my own mind I tend to worry that I come across as awkward and then I actually did this like stupid questionnaire years ago where I was like asking people could you like describe me what are my strengths and weaknesses and stuff and I was actually shocked at the like total discrepancy between my lived experience of myself in the world and other people's experience of me and other people are like you're so warm you're really easy to get along with you feel like a light in the room like it feels so safe and warm around you and I was like oh, what like my mind was blown and it was great for me as an anxious person I actually I've stopped saying anxious person as a person who occasionally experiences anxiety <laughs> um, um, I found that so useful because it's like I can be freaking out inside but other people might not actually experience that and so mm -hmm. I don't need to worry as much yeah. and also other people will make up whatever story they want about me and I can't control it like so but anyway this thing of being like generous and even just affirming people of like if someone's making a thing just saying wow or if someone is dressed beautifully like they obviously care about how they look and you say oh you look great and it yeah. costs you nothing this is yeah. the thing is that's right. like it's this force of like it generates energy from nothing, which yeah. is literally, I mean, that's like, that is magic, right? Yeah. The idea that you can like make a thing exist that didn't exist a few seconds before then. Yeah. And you're just kind of like giving that as this gift to someone. I still have, you know, mm. it, it feels like a little gold nugget that you then mm. carry with you. But my friend's mum, when I was in high school, mm. at some point said, Oh, that Alice, she's vivacious. And I didn't even know what that meant, right? I had to look it up. And that is something that I hold with me now. When I'm nervous walking into a room, I feel like yeah. the most awkward, the most shy. 
in just em chronically embarrassed person. Mm. And I hold on to the fact that someone saw me and thought that. And if she did think that, I'm like, I guess part yeah. of me could be that. And that, that, how many times that's like powered me through a situation where totally. I literally want to just vanish, crawl into my skin and disappear. And there's some, there's some antidote to imposter syndrome in, in that story that you told, which is that, well, at least for me, it's like if someone thinks that I can give a speech on a stage, even though I don't feel totally great, and I'm like, oh, the fact that they believe that I can makes me think I can. Yeah. And if someone thinks that I'm friendly, I feel more able to be friendly. Like, you know, like, I'm just like, oh, yeah, maybe I am this. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, um, and like, this is a, this is a bit of a, like, I don't know if segue, but like, um, with working on my book, it's been seven years now and it's at the point where it's been pitched to publishers and I've had almost 50 rejections. With a book that is so personal, like the level of pain of that is intense. Like, like the self-doubt and going, is this book absolutely ridiculous and a waste of time and space has been creeping up. And then I finally had some meetings with publishers who are interested and one of them was so positive and affirming and they just affirmed stuff like, I see what you're doing here. This is so valuable. I love this. Da, da, da. And like from months of feeling like I'm a failure, having one person actually mm. affirm me and see what I'm doing has given me like fuel in the tank to go like, I'm going to keep going with my vision, even though most people don't understand it. This person does. They believe in me. I have one champion. All right. You have two more champions like, right here. <laughs> the di but the difference that yeah. that can make, like, and, uh, in regards, like, it's, it's free and easy. The, like, you don't know what's going on for people. And, like, little gifts like that of being seen and acknowledged can mean so much. Yeah. Whoa. Like, anyway. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> um, I'm interested. So 50 rejections. It's something that you love and you poured seven years of your yeah. heart, soul, sweat and tears into. It must be fucking rough. It is. Do you have any strategies for dealing with rejection? Um, yes. Um, there's a book called Burnout by the Nagoski sisters and <laughs> dealing with rejection gives you certain patterns of stuff. For me, it's frustration and figuring out how to complete the stress cycle around that has been really important and the thing that has like changed it for me is chopping wood going and chopping wood with a splitter what? truly sarah <laughs> i never know what to expect <laughs> please break that down for us because, that. because rejection can feel like so much like a rug has been pulled out from underneath you and that you are not valuable that you're weak that you don't have something to offer um and some of the rejections were like pretty like ooh, things like um shows potential but doesn't wow me or and this was from some of my starts. favorite publishers who, who who peers are published with and so there's all the complex stuff of like anyway um and just this feeling of like can I not trust myself am I doing something weird that totally can never be sold or understood and like all these like cat you know catastrophic thinking of it's like either or it's like no it's more complex um but the, to me, the antidote of, to that feeling has been like the like uh, God-like splitting of wood. Because like when you when you get a, a splitter and you split wood, it feels a bit like you're Thor or something. <laughs> 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 and there's like a precision to it. 
I don't know, for some reason that was the thing. Yeah. And it was totally like non-rational, it was irrational. And like, you know, a few weeks ago I had said to my partner, I'm going to the country and I'm going to go chop wood. And I was telling friends and they're like, are you okay? And I was like driving around with this splitter in the back and people were like, what? And I, even the place I was staying there, I was like, can I please just chop wood? I don't want to burn it, I just want to chop wood. And they were like, okay, crazy single white lady. <laughs> I'm Sarah Firth and one of my hobbies is light deforestation. <laughs> yes, yes, well, yes, yes. Um, but yeah, so that was the thing. Anyway, so yeah, dealing with rejection, Having also friends that you can talk to and be like, I feel like the biggest piece of shit. Am I shit? And they can be like, no, nah, I'm not shit. Like, okay. <laughs> Are you <laughs> sure? <laughs> Am I doing something wrong? Um, but yeah, rejection sucks. And it's such a part of being an artist. Like, you know, you apply for stuff. You put yourself forward for stuff. You make stuff. And it sometimes fucks up. And it's just part of the... Shit, Sam. I think my tummy's going. <laughs> <laughs> Mine's going up too. It's going to be porous. We need some lunch. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. The rejection is hard and you just kind of have to figure out a way through and to take it personally and then get over it. People say don't take it personally. I'm like, you always feel shit. Like, I don't know. Yeah, it's very hard. Not. That's like the advice that you get given. You're like, yeah, cool. But like, no. Yeah. Like, get it. Theoretically, like, lovely. Yeah. But it's like saying don't sneeze it's like well like, yeah yeah to me it's, i got it to me it's a like the, the, this book burnout is really good because it talks about how it's like a stress cycle and it's like the way we're not trying to get rid of stress in our lives we're trying to be more resilient like a rubber band so you can like have the rejection or have the stressful mm. thing and then be able to process it metabolize it and then come back to your shape um and yeah be healthy and stretchy with mm. your rejection and oh, that's uh, nice. yeah <laughs> Yeah, I love that too. That's a really helpful visual. Yeah. We're probably coming pretty close to wrapping up, but I wanted to ask sort of almost as a flip side to rejection, how do you define and measure success? Um, feeling aligned. And by that I mean that you don't feel like you're compromised somewhere that you're not trapped mm. or pinched somewhere. And that, like, because to me, success can be simple things and it can also be big things that are hard and that feel a bit crappy. But there's this, like, power or freedom or energy there that's, like, a hunger and a it feels good and yummy. Like, I would say like weightlifting. Like, weightlifting is hard and it's stressful and you have bad days and stuff, but it, like, feels good and yummy mm. and, like, there's some kind of... Oh, like vitality to it. To me, that success is like some kind of flow or sway in a thing. I, <laughs> I don't know. know. I, love I actually know exactly what you mean. Yeah. As well. I think like people, like success is so often measured as the gold, but the way that you speak about it in terms of that yumminess. Yeah. Like a, the, how does it feel? Yeah, yeah. Because it's like you could get a book deal with, you know, a great book deal with this, or you could get married to this like seemingly you know, amazing guy or a woman and then like it doesn't quite stack up you know they're like I feel like there are so many traps everywhere of success and what you should be like and what you sh you know what success should be um but I actually feel like it's like a like an energetic thing almost of like the things that feel successful can be quite unexpected and the things that you thought you wanted often you go and do them and you're like oh wow this is not what I thought it would be and you only know that from doing it you can't really advance um, but I just know that, like, yeah, the trappings of success, like, 
And also humans are great at being miserable wherever we are. So you could be quite poor and then you have a pretty nice house and then you want the next nicer house and then you want the fancy car for your dogs. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm sorry, but that is a, a must-have item, Sarah. Um, objective. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but no, I feel like success is, is, a, is a fluid, energetic thing and you sometimes feel it and then other times you get tricked and then you have to realise, no, that's not what it seems to be. Backpedal yeah, it's interesting. I'm thinking with goals, like a lot of the time, goals are not about achieving the goal, mm. they're about creating momentum. Mm. So, if you've started with a goal to um, be an amazing portrait artist, and along the way, you start running corporate workshops, and you're like, Actually, I love this thing, yeah, and I was never that invested in this. It doesn't matter that you never did that goal it's but it created momentum for you to try things and do things differently and that feeling that you call yumminess which I love and when I visualize it it's sort of like a like a lock clicking into us you know that sounds good like click 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 yeah 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 yeah. Mm, yes good (laughs) and it's not necessarily just positive like I feel like there is some kind of mm, like maybe masochistic thing of like there's goodness in like hard work or Mm. there's like goodness in like the struggle up the mountain Mm. But there's a really big difference between the, like, fueled struggle up the mountain and then they're, like, dragging yourself up this mountain because you should and the next level in your corporate job is the next thing and it feels soulless but you should and you're on the treadmill and you've got to, like, yeah. There's a great comic by my friend that's, like, a guy climbing a ladder and he's like, oh, what's this? And he starts climbing a ladder, like, the corporate guy, and then he gets to the top and he's like, oh, shit, there's, like, nothing there. Yeah. And there's actually, I think, an Anthony Hopkins quote, which is, like, don't chase success. Don't try to get to the top of the tree because there's no one at the top of the tree. Like there's nothing there. Mm. And I was like, oh, chilling. Yeah. There's a degree. There's, there's a degree of that success as well. That's that's like in letting go as well. Like letting go of the thing that you thought would make you happy. Totally. But that doesn't. And like that can be harder than. Like it's it's weird because if you if you imagine your hands holding something tight and you think that letting go should be the easiest thing. Oh yeah. But like we're so uh, we our knuckles are white holding onto who we thought we were gonna be. Um, yeah. It's it's fucking hard. Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. The good news is that you didn't read your other two bios, which means oh, yeah. that we've got two more excuses to bring you back because there is a lot to unpack here. I feel like yeah. this what we've just got into now. I'm like that is, that is what my 30s feel like and mm. I want to ask you both a lot of questions <laughs> yeah yeah man Ooh, totally um well let's do it again sometime yes do you have any final thoughts Sarah you wanted to sign um, off on related to anything you like I feel like I guess what I would say to anyone feeling bad imposter syndrome is like are there ways to play with the problem like Hold on, that's really droll. I don't know. I don't want to give stupid advice. What are you doing, Sarah? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was like, nice. yeah. Yeah, 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 pull the thread. Oh, yeah. If this is just what I like, is that, like, I keep thinking about how, like, the, the, the bad, inverted commas, the bad things I do, like being anxious or neurotic or whatever, I think about how, no, those things are also good. And so if I'm feeling like an imposter in a space, which I before said I don't have imposter syndrome. I oh, okay. come on, let's be coherent. Um, oh, that was my critic. Anyway, oh my god. <laughs> um, I think that if you can reframe stuff, like for example, feeling nervous, you can reframe that as like it's almost the same energy as excitement. 
you're just thinking about it differently. Excitement, yeah. it's like if you're anxious, you're like, I feel like I can't do this. Whereas excitement is like, whoa, 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 let's go. Mm. And sometimes just tricking yourself into that stuff, like gaming yourself can be good. And it's like, if you feel like you're stretching beyond your growth zone and you maybe feel like an imposter. You could be like, no, I'm learning and growing and this is exciting and good. And I have just as much right to be here and be doing this as anyone, which isn't always true. But you know, like I would just say like reframing stuff and championing yourself yeah it's good and there are more leaves on the tree like you yeah. said yeah. your image of the tree i love that with the leaves the more leaves you release the yeah. more you know that like even if that one's not your defining work you'll mm. do the next one and the next one and the next one and there's next season yeah and you... yeah. yeah and life is seasons as well mm. far out yeah, yeah. Well, bingo. Reframe, water your self-plant, and give yourself a fucking high five. <laughs> Thank you so much, Sarah Firm. Thank it you. has been an Thank absolute you. delight, Thank and you are wonderful, me. and uh, I love you both dearly. Goodbye. I'm waving goodbye. Thank goodbye. you, Sarah. Thank Bye. you, Jess. Thank you so much for listening to the Imposter Syndrome Club. You can follow us on Instagram at imposterpod or business online at impostorsyndromeclub.com. Um, rate, rate and review. That's what podcasts is like. Say. Like and subscribe. Like, yeah. <laughs> Are we real podcasters now? I think we've got this. Great.